Please be seated. Thank you, Woven Worship Team. I got caught up in the worship, and I didn't even realize that it was my turn to come up. So wonderful, wonderful ministry that you guys do. Uh, the announcement about the newcomers, uh, newcomers Luncheon and then the membership class, those are two separate events, just to clarify. Newcomers Luncheon is the one that's coming up. We're probably going to do it uh, after, the Sunday after Halloween, um, and uh, that's one event. The membership class is a separate event. I know that we've had several people that were interested in membership. Um, what else? Go Astros. I was thrilled about the game yesterday and watching it. Um, I'm so happy to be in a, in a city that is, that is winning and that is doing um, wonderful. So uh, I watched the game last night with my children and my wife um, at the same place I was watching it the previous night, and uh, we're not making a habit here, but, um, you know, uh, watching games, because I don't have cable TV at home, watching games can really rack up the bills, so we're probably going to sit the next few ones out uh, and just uh, follow the game online until we actually uh, get down to the wire for the World Series, so we're really excited about that. What else? Um, I want to thank all of our members for our good annual meeting. We had a good annual meeting last Sunday, and uh, we are on the verge of some transition as a church, and I know that this was in the location committee update, and that's something that the committee is working hard. Paul and I are having a lot of conversations. We have the denomination involved as well in kind of um, helping us to move forward as we transition to finding a more central location and something a little bit more permanent than this. And so um, I think that's going to be a, a boon for our church. It's going to be a, a big blessing. I know a lot of, a lot of people here, we're a small church, um, but a lot of people here are really working hard. And so I really want to recognize all of the volunteers, those of you that have been part of the setup and a lot of the stuff that goes into the work for the church. But guys, it's time for us to move from work for the church to the work of the church, and uh, I think this next step will enable us to do that. So we're hopeful that by this Thanksgiving, as was mentioned in the report, by this Thanksgiving we can give an update, we can give an official update about um, some of the possibilities that are coming up in the pipeline. So we're continuing our series, Dear Woven. Dear Woven, and we've been in this series that we've been studying the New Testament book of Ephesians. And before I go into today's reading, we're up to chapter 3 today, I need to do a recap of last Sunday because there's a flow of thought. In Ephesians, Paul has a flow of thought that kind of traces through a lot of therefores, a lot of for this reasons. And so last Sunday, what Paul was talking about, last Sunday, Paul was talking about this new pilot project. And this new pilot project was, is it possible for Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, to live together in a new society, in a new thing called ecclesia or church? And can this new entity of Jew and Gentile, Gentile can this new project actually work? Can this new project work? I actually think that for Paul, this is his beta model. This is his pilot project because he's thinking about bigger things. He's thinking about heaven and earth being reconciled, the cosmos being reunified in Christ. 
But in order for us to see everything be joined back together in Christ, first we want to see through this pilot project, can different ethnic races get along? In particular, can Jews accommodate non-Jews? Yesterday, I went to my first bar mitzvah ever, ever. And it was, it was a really meaningful experience getting to see uh, my good friend proudly beaming to see his son stand up in the front and lead the service in Torah and in recitation and in actual interpretation. So uh, a bar mitzvah is a young, it's a boy's, it's, a, it's the rite of passage where a boy becomes a man. And when he becomes a man, he interprets Torah. And to see this, and it was a very meaningful service. They sing as well. They sing worship songs. Um, but, you know, when I, what I walked away feeling was, thank God for Jesus. That's what I walked away feeling. Thank God for Jesus because there's really no way in for somebody like me to be part of that community. I don't look Jewish. I don't think I ever will look Jewish enough, no matter how much I grow out my beard. And this was not even an Orthodox community. And thank God for Jesus because in Jesus, through Jesus, these are, op- these are important prepositions, in Jesus, we who are not Jews get to be part of this new we get to be in. We don't have to sit on the outskirts. You know, the, the way the temple was built, there was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could enter, and for that matter, once a year. Of course, he was Jewish. And then outside of the Holy of Holies, you had the men, the Jewish men who could be in that inner sanctum or, you know, in the surrounding. And outside of that, then the Jewish woman. And then outside of that, the dogs and the uncircumcised not even the dogs, but us uncircumcised, us uh, Gentile folk. That's what I mean to say. Uncircumcision, to be the uncircumcised, was kind of a racial epithet back then. The Gentiles, but be, through Christ, in Christ, we can actually, we can, we, can be part of, we can be part of this inner sanctum and this inner life. And so today, we're going to pick up with that line of thought, and I'm going to talk along three headings as we make our way through Ephesians chapter 3. And these three headings are first, the mystery of the church, second is the ministry of the church, and third is prayer of the church. I couldn't get anything rhyming with mystery anymore. Mystery of the church, ministry of the church, and then the prayer of the church. I assure you, these three headings, I think, are a good summary of the flow of Paul's thought through chapter 3. And so we'll start off with the mystery of the church. As we look at Ephesians chapter 3 together, the mystery of the church is our first heading. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And so Paul here is kind of, um, um, he's pulling rank. He's showing, it's not just I'm Paul the apostle, but he's saying, listen, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. I know that you've been living outside of the temple courts, but I'm telling you, we have an in through Christ, and I can prove it because I'm in chains for you guys. I'm in chains for you guys. I'm in prison. Some scholars believe that Paul was, the reason Paul was in prison was because he actually took a Gentile with him into the temple, and that got him in big trouble. 
Whatever the case is, we know that Paul is in prison for the sake of the Gentiles. It's because of us that Paul is in trouble. And so all throughout today's sermon, I want you to hear the clanking of his chains because that's an important theme. Paul continues in verse 2 and he says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. So you're hearing about the stewardship that I'm suffering. I'm going through this for your behalf. That by revelation there was made known to me a mystery. And that's the key word here, mystery. There's some mystery. What's this mystery? What's this great secret that Paul is going to teach or talk about? Well, in verse 4, he says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. In other words, this mystery, nobody for thousands of years before knew it, but now it's being revealed. Now it's being revealed. It's been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, including myself, Paul is saying. I have the mystery. I have the secret. After thousands of years, nobody knew this, but now I know. So what's this great secret that Paul knows that none of, nobody else knew, for that matter, for thousands of years? He clarifies in verse 6, a clarifying statement, to be specific. And this is, it's the mystery. He's going to define it, but it's so simple. The mystery specifically is this, that you Gentiles, those of you that have to sit in the back of the temple, those of you that don't have a yarmulke, those of you that are not allowed up front, those of you that will never really be part of this Jewish religion, understand, Judaism, it was a strongly attractive option back then to Romans and and to Greeks as well. Greco-Romans, they loved everything that was ancient. They loved anything that was old. They loved the idea of one God, even though they worshiped many gods. But there was also this push-away thing, this push-away that, that those Jews, they're, 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 they're so exclusive. They do things on their own. There's no way us Romans can participate. What Paul clarifies here is that you Gentiles, you're actually fellow heirs. That's a strong statement when he says your fellow heirs, you're getting into the covenant with Abraham, your fellow members of the body. You, you get your own yamaka, so to speak. You get to enter in, you're members of this community, and you get to partake, your fellow partakers of this promise. You get to enjoy the benefits that Jews experience, the benefits of being a Jewish person, all the promises you also are fellow partakers of those promises. Honestly, sitting in the bar mitzvah yesterday and hearing them singing, la, 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 I, I wanted to kind of get down. I wanted to be part of that because I've studied the Old Testament. I've studied the Jewish worldview. I, I was even practicing my Hebrew. I cannot cap, keep up with the 13-year-old kids. They're really good. And I'm really... I, man, I want to be, I want to be in. But being a Gentile, of course, I can't. But what Paul says here is, no, you can. And that's why Paul is in, is in, is in jail. That's why Paul is in prison. Friends, what we're talking about here, I think, is Paul really wrestling with what it means to be a Christian at a time when being a Christian was largely a, a, a Jewish ex- experiment 
You know, I've read the book of Ephesians so many times. I've been reading, I've been reading this book for decades, but I think this is the first time that I can see that this is really very much about how ethnic identity is formed for Christians when at first this was a Jewish, this was a Jewish really, it was a Jewish religion. And so the, the, this wrestling with ethnic identity, it's actually continually, I'm surprised I didn't expect this as we started this series. So how does Paul recon- reconcile Jew and Gentile? How does Paul uh, legitimate that, that a Gentile can come into the temple? How does Paul say that it's possible for Gentile and Jew to be joined under one roof? He says it's in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In the person and even the suffering. And we regard Jesus as the Lamb. He was the sacrifice that tore the veil that allowed Gentiles to enter into the temple. Last Sunday, I talked about How in the world do you reconcile disparate elements, elements that are opposite from each other? How do we bring them together? And I talked about how the atoning work of Christ, His sacrifice is the only way that disparate elements can bring together, can be brought together. In other words, friends, how do we make peace in a a divided society? And, uh, you know, I pressed this a little bit last Sunday. It's, it's, it's not an easy message to hear, but it does require suffering. It does require suffering. These days, everybody's an armchair activist. Everybody wants to post what we believe on social media, but no one is willing to suffer. There is no peace without some suffering. Martin Luther King Jr., In one of his famous essays or letters, he talks about how, these were his actual words. It might have been at a speech, but his actual words were speaking to the opposition and saying, we, the civil rights movement, are going to post on Facebook and on Twitter our opinions and use hashtags and build up buzz and get people to agree with us. No, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we will wear you out by our capacity to suffer. We will wear you out. And in the process, we will win. And they did win. But not only will we win, we will win you as well. We will win the opposition. This is the kind of bringing together that we're talking about. When Paul is talking about bringing Jew and Gentile together, I think he's just using that as a pilot project. He's talking about the whole world. How do we bring heaven and earth, darkness and light, how do we bring reconciliation into the picture? Through Christ and sometimes through Christians as well. This is the great reconciliatory mystery all of this that we can, we can, you know, Gentiles and Jews together in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in the sufferings of Christ. Good leadership, friends, and all of you are leaders. Good leadership sometimes requires a little bit of suffering, but it's the only way disparate elements are brought together. That's why the church is the place of good leadership. 
That's why the church is where this mystery is localized. Just before this chapter, Paul said this. He talked about a building, how this building, we're creating this new building, and in this building, uh, it's fitted together. You Gentiles are fitted together into this holy temple that's being built up with Christ, once again, as, as the cornerstone. But what he's talking about is this, it's not the actual temple. He envisions this temple, this hodgepodge of different ethnicities, Jew and Gentile, being built together, disparate elements joined in one house. I have the perfect analogy for this, how this mystery is localized in us, the church, the perfect analogy. This week, I got to go to the writer's home. They're all out on vacation this weekend. <clears throat> and when I walked into their house, I, I was deeply moved. I was deeply moved because construction is still happening. They're living on the second floor. The floors are clean. Tile is put in. The bathtub is back in. For those of you that were there, that you just saw the sledgehammer going to the bathtub, I was like, oh my gosh. The walls are back in. Everything's painted. It's almost as if, I, I can't say this, but it's almost, I, I couldn't, I can't imagine that just seven weeks ago, I was there, you know, with a, a crowbar um, tearing out three feet. Three feet. And at one point, we tore out all three feet, uh, uh, three feet from the ground up of the, everywhere, the whole house, so that you could stand in one corner of the house and look down and see straight through to the other corner of the house. And what I saw this past week when I was there was that the drywall that was old had been joined with new drywall, new drywall that was completely new. And yet it was so seamlessly connected. This vision was realized so well that, and painted over that it was completely one wall. You, you, could not, you, could not, you could not see the difference. This was literally being built up. Disparate elements, the old and the new, placed together under one roof, being built up. And for that matter... I remember seeing the foundations, and the foundations were carefully treated with, with mold killer and all of that stuff. In the same way, Judaism, it's the foundations, the promises, the covenants is the foundation. It's the studs and the wall. It's the framework of the house. But like the drywall, we are built into an older structure, and what you see is a new home. Friends, in summary, this great mystery that Paul is talking about, I think it's about us, our little church, Woven Covenant Church, three years old, this church that I love, that I'm committed to till I retire. This little church, I think, is Nick Ryder's house. It's that building, different elements being built together. More than just one and two, but three, four different, different backgrounds, different races, different um, church histories and traditions, and being joined together to be a multi-ethnic but also a multicultural church. 
you know, friends, if I can just say this next season that's coming up for us, we're, we're really rethinking our vision. Um, Sarah, you brought up a request to, for us to rethink our vision and our mission. I think that's something that we're going to do. I, I'd like for that to happen. And our LT, this is on our agenda. We want to set up a forum so that especially as we um, sit down in our new facility, if, when that happens, very soon, very soon, we can talk about what we're really striving to do, what is our vision and mission as a church. We are a multi-ethnic church. That's Paul's vision here. It's our vision as well. Disparate elements, disparate, disparate ethnic elements being brought together. But understand, Paul is talking about big things, cosmic things. Not only are, are, are Jew and Gentile brought together, multi-ethnic people brought together. For me personally, this is one angle. It's just one part. It's not going to be the centerpiece of our vision. I personally really would like for us also to find a way to bring faith and work together. Faith and work together. That's another piece to reconcile. There's another piece to reconcile. I know some of you, especially after Hurricane Harvey, when we were driving from Katy all the way to the Fifth Ward, you got to see with your own eyes this disparate elements of suburban and urban. How can God in Christ bring together suburban and urban? Over-resourced and under-resourced. That might be another important part of our vision and our mission. You know, as we unpacked our trailer of all of our church equipment and filled it up with all of the resources that we have here in Katy, we had plenty of water, plenty of clothing, plenty of... And we're bringing it down to the Fifth Ward, and the people there, they're not asking... They're asking for baby wipes. They're asking for towels. They're asking for toilet paper. Not only was it a food desert, everything, the infrastructure was shut down. There was no public transportation. People couldn't get from point A to point B. They couldn't go shopping. Talk about under-resourced. I think, friends, as we move into the next season of our church and our ministry, we're, yes, a multi-ethnic church, but I think more than that, we're going to take Paul's vision. I think this is a very timely message for us. We're going to take Paul's vision and try to be a reconciling church. Honestly, this is not even scripted. I think that's a great, that's a great word for us, to be a reconciling community, reconciling Ethnicities, reconciling faith, work, reconciling suburban, urban, under-resourced, over-resourced. And that kind of gets us into the ministry of the church, and I'm going to kind of speed up here. So you get into the second heading, the ministry of the church. And that's what Paul is on to, because in verse 7, he picks up without a beat. He says, this is the mystery, the great mystery, I just revealed it to you in verse 7, of which I was made a minister. I was made a minister. Now, is Paul pulling rank here, saying, I'm the minister of this mystery? Actually, the word minister there in the Greek is diakonos. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon. And even at that time, I don't think they had in mind the church structure that we're aware of today, elders, deacons. A deacon back then was somebody that waited tables. A deacon back then was somebody that is an attendant. A deacon back then was somebody that did menial duties. Now, if I can share with you, uh, just a little honestly, I, my, my, I enjoy my job. It keeps me very busy. There is one thing about my job that I utterly, utterly hate, and that is printing out, preparing the bulletins, and all of that stuff. I hate that part of my job. I hate it. 
The thing is, I have to do it because right now as a small church, we office out of my home. The church printer is in my house. What am I going to say somebody to come to my house and use my laptop to print on the printer that's in my house? I might as well do it. I get paid to do menial things. I have to. I know once we move into a space, I'm probably going to have to change the toilet paper and clean the toilets. Why? Because as a minister of the gospel, we think that's just me with a white collar up in the front. This menial service, because ministry is not just getting in the front and saying, this is the mystery, guys. I'm going to tell you the mystery Sunday. There is administration that goes on behind the scenes. Menial work. I woke up this morning. I know Bobby was grumpy. He didn't want to bring the trailer out. We're getting rained on and our feet and everything. We're drenched. But you know what? I was grumpy too. I'm like, how much longer are we going to bring this trailer? How much longer are we going to get? I'm drenched by the time I get here. So is he. But sometimes service, I'm not saying we're supposed to do this endlessly, but sometimes ministry, the administration of the mystery requires getting drenched, changing the toilet paper. Sometimes the administration of the mystery requires folding bulletins. As soon as we get into a new space, I'm not doing that job anymore. But it requires all of this menial stuff. And listen to this. Paul continues in verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. He considers it a grace, the administration of the mystery. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. What is the administration of the mystery? This is where it gets interesting. Like I said, this is not just about standing in the front and disclosing some great mystery. There is planning that goes into it, administration. Maybe Paul had a team. I think he did. And he said, okay, we're going to go on Saturday morning on the synagogue, uh, to the synagogue. You hit up this synagogue. I'm going to hit up that synagogue. Um, we're going to take the A train downtown. We're going to go to the temple. Oh, I need change. Oh, yeah, let's gather some change. Let's take up an offering so that we can get you to do your job, to go down to the temple so that you can share the administration, of, so you can share the, minis- the mystery. There's administration that goes into it. That's what we're saying. Or that's what Paul is saying. There is an administration of this mystery. And this is where it gets, friends, fascinating. That word administration, the administration of the mystery is oikonomia. Oikonomia, oikonomia. Where does that word come from? Oikonomia, it comes from the Greek word oikos, which means house. So that you can literally translate that to mean um, household management, administration of the house. Is this saying household management of the mystery? Household management of the mystery? Well, there's even more. There's even more to this. It's interesting. Because when we talk about the administration, I could even translate that, the ministry of the mystery. That's the title of today's talk. The ministry of the mystery. Oh, yeah, the ministry of the mystery. That's Pastor Wayne's job. That's what he does when he comes up on Sunday and and puts the collar on and and talks about God's stuff. That's the administration of the mystery. Actually, no. Actually, no. Oikonomia. Oikonomia is a neat word because somebody used it thousands of years ago. His name was Aristotle. And Aristotle wrote a treatise called Oikonomica. From whence uh, oikonomia. Oikonomia is the same word, oikonomica. Listen to that word, friends. Oikonomica. 
What does that sound like? Oikonomica, oikonomica, economica, economics, economics. So Paul here is talking about the economics of the mystery. I don't think he's talking about the financial sense. He's not talking about the financial sense of the mystery. But I do think he's talking about this good administration, good accounting, good record keeping, good work behind the scenes in order to administer effectively. Friends, when I was in seminary, every teacher wanted you to be the best in their class. I had to be the best. I'm not saying I was. It was expected of me to master Greek. It was expected of me to master Hebrew on top of that exegesis, which was like another language. I had to master history. I had to master philosophy. I had to master theology. But I never learned oikonomica. I never learned administration. In seminary, they never taught me management. I never learned human resourcing. I never learned Excel. I never learned good, you know, record keeping. I didn't learn that. Do you know what this tells me? There is a point here. What this tells me is that the administration of the mystery is probably better done by you than it is by me. It's probably better done by you. I can disclose the mystery on Sunday morning, but come Monday, and I'm not just talking about running the church, guys. You are the administrators of the mystery. You are the ones, because you have the understanding of the oikonomica, not me. If I ran this church by myself, we'd, we'd be done. You are the administrators of the mystery. You are the administers. You are the ones, if we take Paul's vision of reconciling heaven and earth and bringing them back together in unity, you are the ones in your fields, in your marketplaces, in your work that are actually reconciling disparate elements in the world. You're bringing things that are broken and wrong back together. Oh, pastor, that's just idealistic speak. When I was in Pasadena for my studies, which is very much about this reuniting faith and work, reuniting, reconciling faith and work, we had people alongside us in my core. We were not all pastors. There was one guy who worked for the Fed, who works for the Fed. He's one of my cohort members. He works in Washington, D.C. He's not in ministry. He's not in ministry, but he's very concerned about this question of how do we reconcile? How do we reconcile disparate elements? There's another person that's in my cohort. You ever go to Trader Joe's and you get those salads, those prepackaged salads? There's a guy in my cohort who made that. He's, he's the guy that invented that, that sells that. What we're talking about, friends, are people who are understanding Paul's vision of reconciling disparate elements and bringing them back together. Now, I want to kind of near the finish line here because there's so much idealism that I could talk about, but I won't gush. It is for you, as you discern how do you administer the mystery. Do you, hear, do you understand what we're talking about here? Administration of the mystery is not just my job. We're not talking about ministry of the mystery administrating, the, administering the mystery in the world. 
you are the administrators. And if you're catching that vision and you're like, this, this makes sense. I want to see how my work is administering the mystery in the world. And you're getting excited. We could do this. We can, we can, we can reconcile under-resourced and over-resourced. We can reconcile the broken elements. We can fix systems. We can make society a better place. In the meantime, as we're getting excited, we listen to Paul in verse 13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for therefore your glory all the while Paul reminding us that behind it all there is suffering. Good administration requires a little bit of suffering. Good administration, good leadership, good management, this much I know, it requires holding your tongue. It requires listening to the complaints. It requires bringing people together. It requires being there when your team members need a good leader. Because for all of our ideas, Paul is smiling and he's saying, that's awesome, I love that idea, but you can hear his chains all in the back. And we're reminded that the only way we can bring together disparate elements is through a little bit of suffering close off with a third and last heading as we near the finish line. And so Paul concludes in verse 14 with a prayer, the prayer of the church. This prayer sounds very similar to the prayer we find in chapter 1. It's a beautiful prayer. Let me, just, let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you a quick story and then read it and we'll close. When I was in art school, in college, I was at Parsons School of Design in New York City. And uh, I think I was one of those people that had the gifts but maybe not the calling. And I had a teacher named Pasalakwa. With a name like that, you're definitely a genius. Pasalakwa was a genius. He, was an, he, drew, he, he did portraits of presidents and uh, royalty and people like that. And he was my instructor. And I had him every, every year for just drawing class. And, you know, we would, we, would, we would draw. We had a model come up in front. And, you know, we would... We would, we would and over the summer, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't draw, I wouldn't practice. Um, and so I'd get back into the first day of class, and Pasalaco is kind of like, old crusty guy, you know, old timer. I, I mean, he fought in the war, even. And he'd look over my shoulder, and I'm feeling really nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing, and he looks at the quality of my line, at the quality of my line, and he says, you haven't been drawing, have you? You haven't been drawing all summer. And I'm like, oh, man. You can listen to the quality of the line in Paul's words. We can listen to the quality of his words and hear that he's been praying for you. He's been praying for us. We can listen to the quality of his words. They're repeated again here, but even more fuller now. And you can hear this is somebody that's been practicing his prayers for his people. And he says in verse 14, for this reason... I'm bowing my knees before the Father from whom, and he has to clarify once again, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So I am praying for those of you Gentiles as well. And this is what I'm praying, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in your inner person. So that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
think about the frames and the studs that you saw at Nick Ryder's house and at Tanya's house. Think about the framework of the home. Be rooted and grounded in that. Be rooted and grounded in the love of God so that you can comprehend, that you may be able to comprehend with all of the Jewish saints in the past and now Gentile saints as well. And I wish I could just go on and talk about the history of the early church and how people gave their lives, non-Jews, for the God of Judaism, for a Jewish carpenter, Gentiles who willingly gave up and suffered and died. New saints. He's praying that we would be new saints together with all of the old saints, new saints that we can grasp with them what is the breadth, length, height, depth. And so that you can know this, this this immense, this love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, the fullness of God, the fullness of God, everything being filled with God. That's not not just that Paul is saying. He wants everything to be filled with this reconciling vision. So friends, I conclude... Listen to that prayer. I just want to recap. Number one, we're talking about a mystery. What is this mystery? That black and white can be reconciled. That left and right can be brought together. That Jew and Gentile can be together. That faith and work can be renewed. That urban and suburban can find a way to get along. That under-resourced, can, that over-resourced can start resourcing, under-resourced. This cosmic vision, this is the mystery. Secondly, The ministers of this mystery are you. You are the ministers of this mystery, the administrators, the oikonomica, the diakonos. You are the administrators of this mystery. And number three, the best thing us clergy guys can do and women is just pray for you and keep praying. Keep praying and may you never see the quality of my prayers wanting. Best thing that I can do is just pray for you as you enter back out into the world to administer the mystery. Let's close our eyes. What in your world needs reconciling? We often think relationships. Yes, that's very important, that too. But I also want to talk about what in your world is just not right that needs fixing that needs reconciling, what needs to be brought together, back together? What in your world needs a wise, humble leader who is willing to take a little bit of criticism, complaint, and every now and then a little bit of suffering? What in your world needs somebody that is willing to stand and be an administrator of the mystery? Or maybe it is a relationship, but reflect on that now. Reflect on that now as you consider the calling. Am I willing, like Paul, to suffer a little bit to administer this mystery?
Beloved, the gospel is not for the faint of heart or for the timid. It requires us, it requires us to put up with stuff. Sometimes to go an extra mile. It requires us to forbear. We can't just say, ah, I'm just done with it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to try anymore. These people, they're not worth it. They are worth it. For this challenge in my job, it's just, why do I, I just, I just want to just pass it on to somebody else. I don't, I don't want to fix this. Why do I have to fix this mess? Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to lead the way. I don't have the time, I know. God grant us rest and Sabbath so that we can find time to work well, administer well. In the name of Jesus, at this time, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come down even as the rains, as we hear it, and bring my people rest. And I pray that they would feel it wash heavy on their souls now, this sense of rest, the sense of well done on the Sabbath day, you can say, my work was done, it was good, I gave it my best, I suffered a little bit, I endured, but give them now this heavy washing, this heavy sense of rest. Fall now, Holy Spirit. Fall now, Holy Spirit. Fall now, Holy Spirit. Give these good people rest. They have labored hard. They have worked faithfully. They've put up with that relationship problem, with that person, with that broken system. They've listened to stuff from their bosses, or they might have even dished it. But Lord, give them rest now in Jesus' name. Give them rest. For our teachers, I pray, especially as they've labored so hard these first few weeks in the wake of a storm, Give the teachers rest. Give the teachers rest. They are tired. The moms, I pray at this time, who are in quite literally the house, the oikonomica, household management. Talk about household management. Give moms rest. The moms are, they're, they're tired. Some of them sick after the storm. Give them tremendous, tremendous For those who are making the drive tomorrow morning, help them with a deep, with their lungs filled with breath and the Holy Spirit making their drive, feeling, okay, another week, it's going to be okay. Give them rest. It's going to be okay. If you're in trouble, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And finally, Lord Jesus, I pray for the ministers in Houston. Those who come up sometimes after a week of cleaning toilet, toilets and folding bulletins or sometimes wearing the burden of the people on their shoulders, I pray that you would help the ministers as well. We are all on the same team. Give them, give me rest as well. A worker deserves their wages. So, Lord... 
grant our little community rest. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.